We read today from Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. You may be seated. It was advertised that the devil was going to put his tools up for sale. On the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each being marked with its sale price. There were a treacherous lot of implements, hatred, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pride, and so on. Laid apart from the rest of the pile was a harmless-looking tool, well-worn, priced very high. The name of the tool asked one of the purchasers. Oh, said the devil, that's discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because it's more useful than the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one when I cannot get near him with other tools. Now, once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It's a badly worn tool because I use it on almost everyone since few people know that it belongs to me. The devil's price for discouragement was so high, he never sold it. And no doubt he used it to pry open your heart this week You're about to give up on your marriage, your teenager, your call, your dream, your future. The residents of Judah and Jerusalem were in a similar place. Just two months prior, Haggai showed up on the scene and told them what they were to do. Get back to rebuilding the temple. Uh, Just one month prior, they started. And within four weeks of starting, they were discouraged. God knows that. He knows everything. And he doesn't stay quiet. He spoke. Uh, Verses one through three in the seventh month is when he spoke. And he spoke to all three parties. The governor the high priest, and to all the people. And he asked them a question. It's an interesting question. 
Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? The house, the temple. Now this question will call for some older people because the temple has been destroyed now for 70 years. So if anybody has seen it in its former glory, it would be old folks who saw Solomon's grand and glorious temple. And what you may not know is that 17 years prior to this, Ezra actually returned uh, along with Nehemiah who focused on the walls and Ezra focused on the temple and they began a rebuilding then that the temple never was finished. Here's how Ezra records how they responded to that. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound, the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Why would some cry, and some rejoice. Older people who had seen the temple in its former glory looked at this foundation of the new one being laid not so glorious and they wept. Younger people who had never seen a temple, they were born in exile. They rejoiced because they were thrilled to see this center of worship finally being restored in Jerusalem. That was 17 years prior, and the temple is still a mess. Rubble is still a reality. And Haggai, or God through Haggai says, don't you remember uh, what the temple once looked like? Uh, why the question, here it is, Discouragement distorts your vision. Discouragement will cause you to see things as they are not. Discouragement will not allow you to see things as they are. Discouragement is like a lens going on your glasses through which you look and see all of life and the lens through which you see it isn't rose-colored. It's dark. It's dreary. Look through those lens long enough and discouragement will find you in depression. Look through those lens long enough and discouragement will find you feeling devastated. Discouragement distorts your vision. God calls them back to the vision. Remember, uh, you older people, what it used to be like. There's some value in this. And, and some people try uh, everything in their power not to get old. But there, there are two alternatives. You either get old or you don't. 
And if you don't, you die. And so if you are older, one of the benefits that you have is to see things where God once worked and to tell some people around you who haven't seen such of a God who once did great things. Amen? It's, it's, it's what we need from older people. I'm becoming one of them. Uh, it's, it's what we need from older people. And so God says then, uh, be encouraged, and he gives three reasons. He uses the word strong. Uh, be strong because I am with you. Yet now, be strong. And he says it to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to the people. Three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. Verse four. All you people of the land declares the Lord, work for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts. Work for I am with you. We need to understand then Lord of hosts. The name shows up nine times in 38 verses. So what does it mean? The word Lord, anytime you see it, all caps, L-O-R-D in your Bible, refers to Yahweh, the self, uh, the Hebrew name for God, the self-existent, redemptive God. Uh, focus on self-existent. When you see Lord in all caps, so you'll see Lord, either all caps or Lord with a capital L in your Bible, two different words in the Hebrew giving rise to that English translation. And Lord in all caps is the God who always was the God who always is, and the God who always will be. He is self-existent. That means no one created him. Uh, hosts, then, the Lord of hosts. Hosts means armies. A reference to the angelic armies of heaven. There is a self-existent God who has no beginning and has no ending, but at some point he created angels who do his bidding, who are at his beckoning call, who still today do his work. He is the Lord of hosts. And I would just say to you, unbeknownst to you, it's possible that this week one of those angels slid up beside you and did what the Father told him to do on your behalf. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I believe there is a God in heaven who's actively involved in your life, who knows exactly what you need, knows when you need it, and who comes to your aid when you do. Uh, sometimes the Lord of hosts is translated as Lord Almighty. You'll see some English translations give that to you. The Lord of armies of angels. It reminds me of babies. Babies can be held by mom or dad as a storm is raging outside. Thunder is is clapping lightning, is flashing, the rain is pouring down, and that baby sleeps unaware of imminent danger. 
That's who we are in the arms of the Lord of hosts. Work, for I am with you. Be strong because I am with you. Secondly, be strong because I was with you. Verse five, according to the covenant I made, past tense with you when you came, past tense out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Remains, uh, that word means stands. My spirit stands in your midst. When they came out of Egypt, God showed up in two distinct ways. Uh, When Pharaoh let the people go, Uh, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. If you look at a map, uh, it would make way more sense to leave Egypt and go north, uh, up uh, right into the promised land. It's not a long ways. But here we find out why they didn't go that way. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God knew the mindset of his people. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you'll carry my bones up from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And here it is. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God through Haggai says, I need you to go back in history and remember a time when I was with my people And I knew them so well that I knew if they encountered the Philistines there in those coastlands between Egypt and between the promised land, they would look at those Philistines and in fear, they would turn around and go back to Egypt even though they had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, they would go right back. And so God, knowing what he knew, said, I'll lead them this way. What does that say to us? God saw what they could not see. God saw what they could not see. They they never encountered the Philistines before. They hadn't been out of Egypt. They didn't even know there were Philistines there. God saw what they could not see. But it also tells us that God knew what they did not know. God saw what they could not see, but God also knew what they did not know. He knew that the Philistines would be a formidable enemy and would create an obstacle for them right away. But even beyond that, folks, he knew their heart. He knew their fear quotient. He knew how terrified they would be. God knows you better than you know yourself. 
Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that there's a God in heaven that is able to search deep into your heart and know not only, not only what you're doing, but why you do what you're doing. Uh, God saw what they could not see. He knew what they did not know. And so he gives them a cloud by day and fire by night. God never left them. Oh, they left him, didn't they? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, the, their, their feet were still damp from crossing the Red Sea when they decided to build a golden calf and worship it. God never left them. One of the great things you can do as moms, dads, grandparents is to, is to help your children see a big God. A God who is able, as a matter of fact, in your notes on the back, you have, regardless of age of your children, activity to do that. And I encourage you to to take this and sometime this week, gather in the kids and help them to see that there is a big God in heaven. My spirit remains in your midst God says to Haggai, fear not. Be strong because I am with you. Be strong because I was with you. But, but finally, be strong because I will be with you. Uh, verse six, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more. Aren't those good words? Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Yet once more, in a little while. God's little while sometimes seems like an eternity to us, doesn't it? Uh, Well, it it may be in some ways. Peter said, uh, writing to a persecuted church in 2 Peter 3, 8, but do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's little while may be a long time. But notice what God says he will do in a little while. He will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. You see, they needed rain. They needed dew. They needed uh, the wind to blow off the Mediterranean and drop that moisture on very dry land. They were going through a drought. Verse 10 of chapter 1, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And this is God speaking. I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. And God says, I'm going to, I'm going to visit you. I'll shake the heavens. I'll give you what you need. But not only did they need that, they needed resources. If they're going to do something with this temple, if they've got this massive temple this, uh, that, that they're going to do something with, then they need resources in order to be able to do what it is that they, they need to do. This original temple built by Solomon was one and a half million square feet. This is a major undertaking. 
Verses seven and eight, and I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, when King Nebuchadnezzar came in from Babylon, he stripped the temple of its gold. He took away the silver. He took away the bronze. He decimated the beautiful woodwork, uh, the, the curtains, all of those things, the implements, the tools. He stole so much. And God says, I will shake the nations and bring back from them what was taken from you. That's what God does. It's how he works. And verse nine is an audacious claim. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And now we have a quandary. Why? We know that the temple that was rebuilt was not bigger. It was not more glorious. It didn't compare to Solomon's. So how is it that God is going to bring back the the latter glory to be greater than the former. On New Year's Eve, Wendy and I went to dinner. Staff gave us a gift card and we went to Grove Park Inn. We had dinner. I proposed to her there, not far from that anniversary. And so, from that date, and so we like to go there about once a year to celebrate that. So we had an amazing meal. And then we walked around and looked at the incredible gingerbread houses. And then, and, and at all things Christmas that my wife loves. And then I saw these pictures. And underneath each of them, words. And so I nerded out a bit, went down that hall, and looked at every single one of them. And it was a wall of presidents who had stayed at the Grove Park. Woodrow Wilson, Herbert Hoover, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower had visited there and stayed. One of the presidents, it was was his summer getaway. He would stay for an extended period of time. I discovered by reading a common name among all of the descriptions that evidently the first owner of the Grove Park knew was so politically connected, knew multiple presidents, spanned multiple years. They were personal friends and he would come. Now, I've never stayed at the Grove Park, nor ever have I wanted to. I've seen pictures of the room and not trying to bust on it, but it just doesn't seem to be that glorious to me. The rooms don't, I'm sure they cost a pretty penny. But do you know what happened as I was reading the wall? The glory of Grove Park Inn grew. It grew. Now, not nary a thing changed architecturally while I was standing there. There were were no new stones added. Those grand fireplaces in that lobby that you can walk into, literally, because they're so large and the fires are so huge, not a bit of that changed, but the glory of the building grew. Why? Because of who had stayed there. 
the writer of Hebrews is maybe the only New Testament writer to quote Haggai. Here's what he says. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, and here's the quote, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Uh, that would be stones and rocks, uh, some of which were so massive in the temple that they would be absolutely unbelievable to behold. Uh, I will indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The only way that the latter glory of a smaller, cheaper, less ornate temple would be greater than the former is if somebody walks into that temple and hangs out in that temple and raises the glory quotient, amen? That's the only way. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. Solomon is not there to drive the project now. What Haggai perhaps didn't know was that Jesus would be born in a lowly manger, but at the age of 10, he would baffle the teachers, the Pharisees, in that very temple. Mom, dad would come looking for him as he was blowing their minds with his knowledge. The glory of the latter temple uh, was greater than the former. Jesus would walk into that temple, turn over tables, drive out money changers. The latter glory would be greater than the former, wouldn't it? But oh, it was in an, a, a historical event that happened outside the city on a hill, as the old song says, far away that Jesus hung dying on a cross. And as he died on that cross, something amazing happened. Matthew recorded it. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen of sleep were raised and coming up out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many and when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place they were filled with what? Oh! And said truly this was the son of God Jesus while hanging on a cross outside the temple decided to do a bit of a redesign a bit of a rework in the temple itself and that curtain that separated the inner court from the holy of holies was torn in two so that I a measly little sinner so that I a wretch though I am could go not crawling but according to the writer of Hebrews I could come boldly into the throne of grace and find grace and mercy to help me in my time of need amen in church the latter glory of the temple is greater than the former because all of a sudden it's not just a high priest going in once a year but every single person who has ever come to faith in Jesus has an audience with the God of all creation wow the latter glory greater than the former but Jesus didn't stop there Luke 21 he repeated a bold claim. I think he made it three times in his ministry and this is what got him arrested. And this is one reason he was crucified. 
And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And so, scholars believe Jesus in that moment is predicting the fall of Jerusalem, which would happen in 70 A.D., but he doesn't stop there. Verses 25 through 28. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great what class? Great what? Say it loud glory coming in power and great glory now when these things begin to take place I love this straighten up when these things begin to take place straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near Jesus is coming back church he is coming back he will return and this is his promise and folks will see him coming with power and great glory. And there was someone in his audience whose name was John. And as John heard that, John couldn't have known at that point that he would go and plant churches and he would eventually be exiled. He would find himself on an island called Patmos all along. Historians, uh, some uh, say that John most likely was dipped in hot oil. His body burnt over much of it, uh, persecuted before he was exiled. And John had a vision. It's called the Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. Chapter 21. And I saw no what? Temple in that city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a city and there is no temple in it because the glorious temple is Jesus himself. And we're going there. 